Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. At the point that I was blown up, I was sure I'm going to be the next Frank Zappa. I was sure I'm going to be this incredible musician, write music for everyone. I left the hospital. I barely could keep my left arm. They wanted to amputate it. Doesn't work very well today either. I have lots of bullets and shrapnel stuck in my body still. Uh, my hearing, I lost most of my hearing. I left the hospital with an identity crisis. I'm not a musician, but what am I? I met half a brother of my father, and uh, he was a painter. And he changed his career when he was 50. And I admired him for, for making such a change so late in life. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just 21. Maybe I can make a change like that. And I love painting. And I thought, maybe I can be a painter too. So I went and bought all the paints, all the canvases, all the paper, all the medium that I could find in, in, in the biggest art supply shop in Tel Aviv. I spent the first night with them. I think the first time I was painting 18 hours straight. Took a bottle of wine <laughs> on my balcony and we started, uh, started looking at the canvas. And I was so afraid of painting. I started by writing my poetry on the canvas and then painting whatever it made me feel. After that night, I decided I'm going to be a painter. I'm a painter. For me, I thought, you know, I found the language that I love and it sticks to me. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Omar, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for inviting me. It is my pleasure to have you here. So you are one of a long line of people who has been referred to me by our former guest and mutual friend, Michael Shine. Uh, you know, everybody refers as awesome. So no pressure at all. Uh, but I wanted to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have influenced and shaped uh, your values and what you've ended up doing with your life? Hmm. Well, those are, uh, <laughs> that was a compact question. Uh, a compact question you started with. Um, I think something I learned from my father pretty much uh, shaped the way I see the world. Um, he told me at a very young age, I think I was maybe six or, or eight years old, I asked him if there was God. Everyone talking about God. And, and uh, I, was, uh, I was kind of curious because he was not really... Um, interested he's ne he's never taking us to do all the, the jewish holidays that my mother was was into uh, and and so i was asking him you know is there a god and he said what do you care i don't know it's a topic you know people talk about it he said you you know you don't need to worry about things that are uh, not in your control how the world started and if there is god or there isn't all you need to know is that you need to be a good person um, and to be authentic and live your life and, uh, and, and think about, think about the future and think about, live the present and don't, don't worry about anything that is outside your, uh, your scope. And, uh, I think that kind of for many years, every time that I was thinking, you know, getting into arguments, if, if I'm an atheist, really I've learned that I'm agnostic. I just prefer <laughs> right now, no one, no one has proven to me, uh, this, 
um, the, the reason, the reason God. Um, so I, I just prefer not to, to have a, a strong opinion about it currently. And I think that view, you know, not worrying too much about things that are outside your control really shaped me uh, as a person and, 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 and became a strong, um, lighthouse, I guess, for me. You know, it's funny because I think of all the, the great illusions that human beings have, control might be the biggest one of all. The idea that we're in control of almost anything that happens uh, other than our own actions. Uh, and yet people try to impose control over their lives in so many different ways. Um, tell me about the ability to develop that uh, capacity, because I, I think that that's such a like it's one thing to say it, right? But it's another mm-hmm. to actually live it. True, and and you know what? I'll tell you this about like I'll tell you about how I met Michael. I met Michael through Lunch Club. It's a it's a networking app that introduces you to random people. Um, have you heard about it? No, I haven't. I'm gonna have to download it's, it. Uh, it's a it's a it's a cool web app, and I'll send you a link after. This. Um. I, I'm, I'm a great believer in randomness and, um, I believe that when I, you know, when you increase randomness in your life, good things happen. So I, I'm, I'm on this, uh, I'm on this app for like maybe six, seven years and I use it maybe once a month. And every time that I open up, um, I'm, I'm starting a new path in, in my life. I'm beginning a new project or a new company or anything like that. I'm, uh, I'm uh, also trying to increase my randomness kind of. Uh, factors in my life. So I would, I would go running in different trails. I would go to different gyms. I would work from different cafes and work in, in co-working spaces. I, uh, I would do a lot of, uh, networking events and, and I would use more lunch club you know, meetings that kind of introduced me to random strangers. Um, I would do this maybe twice a week or once a week. And I believe that, you know, it's, it takes practice. I'm, I'm a control freak. <laughs> Instead of me, it's, 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 I, all, all I said is that I'm not worried about things that are outside my control, but I believe that most of the things are in my control. So you, yeah, you develop it by, you develop it, your question, to, to answer your question, you develop it by trying to, to, to develop some healthy mix between randomness and uh, to, to really try to understand what what is under your control, what it is the things that you can impact with with your uh, with your existence. Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, I want to come back to that, um, but I want to talk about growing up in Israel, a couple of questions come from that. One, when you're looking at the state of that region of the world right now, particularly having grown up there, what do you make of the situation? Two, what do we not see? What is the media? How does the media distort our perceptions of what is happening in that region of the world? Um, And talk to me about the advice your parents gave you about making your way in the world. Is it kind of like the standard Indian, you know, go do something stable, doctor, lawyer, engineer narrative. <laughs> oh my God. No, no. My father is a photographer. He's a war photographer. I think that people, wow. it's a, one of those things that you know, uh, everything there is outside their control. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's an artist. He is, he is so right. He, he takes pictures of the muse, but he likes the frame, he likes the picture, like the, the art of, of taking those photos. Um, being in those moments. So I don't think that control for him, you know, for, for him, control is work. You know, if you, while, while you're working, you're in control. Um, and so I don't know if it's, it's similar to, you know, the Indian lawyers getting a good job. My parents definitely want me to, to, to have a career in something. Uh, they, they, you know, they discovered that I'm good with computers, that they hoped that I would have a career in computers. But when I told them I'm going to be an artist, my life is going to be creative. And I think that, you know, my father was skeptical. My brother was uh, supportive. Like, like she, she's always been, she's a very supportive person in my life. And, uh, but they also want me to be stable, to have some stability mm-hmm. um, in life. I think that's, that's about that. And like in terms of growing up in Israel and what's happening there today. Um, well, first of all, I'm biased. I'm Israeli, yeah. uh, so, so there's the, there's no there's no question about you know, bias here. But I'm also um, I'm also I think I carry some unique perspective about uh, about what's happening today. When I was um, when I was growing up, my my father is even though he's uh, right wing, he's uh, all of his friends are Palestinians. He's he's the he believes in, in, in he's a Zionist. He believes that uh, Israel should be should be belong should belong to the Jewish people. But he also believes in coexistence and believes in that we are able to live together. Um, Zionism, uh, at least in our version of it, in, in the family, is um, is still having a country that is multicultural and where everyone can coexist and live together. But at the same time, it's also a place for. Jewish people to be able to come from all over the world and find refuge. Yeah. So I was growing up, I was very interested in the in the Jewish undergrounds that, that kind of led to um, the establishment of Israel as a country, as we know it today. Um, when I was 18, I was uh, drafted to the army. Um, I should be aware that 
uh, the army is mandatory in Israel. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it wasn't really a choice whether I'm going to the army. It's, it was just something that um, everyone does. Um, or they go to jail. So I chose, I chose the army. Uh, when I was 20, um, I was a musician at the time. And this one weekend that I was, uh, uh, at home recording some music. And on this Friday morning, I got a call from a friend and said, do you want to come up with me and spend the weekend, uh, at the, at the base somewhere in the West Bank? Um, you're going to have fun and enjoying with some friends, right? And, uh, she convinced me to join them and volunteer uh, to help them doing their uh, duties and, and so on. Um, we went there. We were sitting in this cafe in the West Bank when this 20-year-old guy, um, he stood up. He went towards the bus station, uh, which was kind of odd because it was, it was super hot. It was like 104. Um, and as I was thinking about why is he going outside of the shade, you know, towards the bus, he hugs me from behind. He puts me in an embrace, say something in my ear, and he detonates, he detonates himself. He had 15 pounds of explosives in a school bag that he carried, that he had between him and me. Um, and he, then he detonated it and exploded. And uh, it was one of the first suicide bombings in Israel in, um, in late 2000. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty long and gruesome story, but the short of it, I, um, I lost, um, I died for a few minutes. Someone, uh, someone um, came and found me and resuscitated me and kept me alive until an ambulance showed up. And I woke up a month later in a hospital where I spent about a whole year um, trying to recover from that. Everyone expected me to be uh, angry, I guess. And maybe at sunset, part of this time I was angry. Um, but I came out of it really realizing that, you know, my father's, uh, you know, right-wing opinions are, are wrong. That the only way that I can, at least to me, right? The only way that I thought we could stop this, um, mad bloodshed between us is peace. And, you know, I, I went and did a, and did a degree in social studies. I learned a lot about, um, I took a lot of courses in, in, in our history and trying to figure out how the undergrounds, um, you know, saw themselves in liberating the country and so on. And I realized that even today, after October 7, and, and I lost friends and family in, in October 7, it was, it was a, it was a disaster from, you know, even after that, I think that the only thing that can save both of our people is peace. And what you see in the news today was, is that we have leaders that are, that are, Abusive on both sides. We have, we have leaders that uh, they don't lead, that are um, selfish. And what we don't see on the news today is that there is a huge um, argument, general argument in Israel. Um, the prime minister today has maybe 4% approval rate internally. 4%. Um, no, one wants, no one wants him in charge in trying to overturn this and to stop this war is something that a lot of Israelis are, are actively working towards. I don't, I think we, we, there's too much death. There's too much, um, there's too much suffering. There's too little achievements in this, in this, in this, uh, in this war. And we're not bringing the, the hostages back. So, yeah. So I, I, I think what people are missing here is that not all Israelis are in the same, in, in the same, uh, in the same place. Not all Palestinians are in the same place. And our fights are between a terror organization and a, and a, and a terror government. Yeah. Well, so, I, you know, I know about the mandatory military service because I feel like everywhere I've traveled in the world, I meet Israelis who have just finished their military service. So they have a shit ton of money <laughs> and they're having like the time of their lives. Uh, wow. And so what you mentioned, you know, you chose to, you know, go to the military instead of going to jail. I'm just curious, are there people who try to avoid the service and flee the country? Yeah, you can't really flee the country. It's not going to help you. What is it? You flee the country. I'm sure there are. There are plenty of people who flee the country. If they never wanted to come back. But eventually you would want to come back, visit your family and friends, and you know, you'll get in and you'll get to jail. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not an answer. My, um, my wife, um, my partner, is the only person that I know that... Um, 
that managed not to do the service. And she had her interview and she just said, you know what? It's not you. It's me. I have other plans. I don't think I'm good at taking orders and we would not be a good fit. <laughs> wow. And she got out she, of like what is mandatory she, for all citizens and, by doing that. And they, and they told her, are you sure it's going to be rich for you? Do you have a lot of opportunities? You're very smart. You're and she said, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's me. I don't take orders. I don't like, I want to travel. I will do things. It's not, it's not, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not into that very much. And they just let her go. Wow. I don't know any single person. I know people like who went to, to this interview naked and trying to be pretty, pretend to be crazy and doing all kinds <laughs> of things. Right out like, of it. like none of them got out of it. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either you're going in into a mental hospital or uh, you're going into the There's no question about it. And so and your wife played it straight and just basically said, I don't think this is a fit. That's amazing. She, uh, she's always been authentic. And <laughs> I think she was, uh, she was very lucky. And uh, yeah, she, she very often she gets her way. <laughs> yeah. Doing that. Well, you know, it, it, so you mentioned sort of, you know, this narrative you grew up with. I had a uh, guy named Jonathan Kislev here who was an uh, um, interdisciplinary artist. I know, I, remember, I, I know Jonathan. I know Jonathan. Yeah, I remember the, that was one of my favorite interviews. And I was like, wait a minute, you're a peace activist who served in the Israeli military. And the story that he shared with me that always stayed with me was when he was a kid, somebody asked him if he wanted to go paint, you know, with some Palestinian kids. and at first, he w- he told me, he said, I was scared. He was like, no, he's like, I'm going to get murdered. Those are terrorists. And he said that the thing that that taught him was when they came together, these kids, Palestinian and Israeli kids together painted a mural. And it was like, wow, so we can either paint murals or we can build walls between each other. Mm-hmm. I've been, uh, I met Jonathan in one of these, um, in one of these uh, events and meetings of the bereaved family circle. Um, and I was, it was a group of artists, Palestinian Israeli artists that met, uh, somewhere in East Jerusalem in Palestine, uh, just the other side of the separation wall. And, uh, we've done the weekend together and I was terrified, to be honest. I had, uh, I was trying to plan a, a concert on, on the separation wall with the conductors of Meta and, and hundreds of musicians and people and participants. And I realized that, you know, we talked about control. I was trying to control everything remotely without getting their own location because I was, because I was triggered constantly by my PTSD of getting close to, to the separation wall. Um, and I sent people to, to shoot, you know, hours long video on, on, like on both sides of the wall. And I was scouting for location, trying to do everything remotely until I realized I have to, if I really want control, I need to control my PTSD and to, uh, and to allow myself to get close there. Yeah. And so I signed up to this meeting, um, and we were, you know, I went for all weekend to this, to this place and I asked someone to, to, to drive me. So I won't be able to get in my car and escape. Um, I took a bunch of weed <laughs> with me to calm my down, to calm my nerves down. Um, and I got to that hotel and I locked myself in my room and I was terrified of leaving. And when I actually left, I met the Palestinian artist, um, it was it was this that type of conversation that I had there that got me to realize that how we're we're more similar than we're different. Um, we are all carrying deep generational trauma from how we were brought up and um, the decisions that our leaders have done over the past seventy five years. In that we not only that we can, but we but we should coexist. We can we can help each other grow. So, I, I agree with Jonathan. That's where that's where I met him, and I think that we can create together. Some of the people that I met there, Palestinian and Israeli, like Jonathan, like I'm I'm friends with and I'm in touch with since you know it's been uh, it's been 15 years or more since that uh, since that event. Wow. Well, so this time in the hospital, a year in the hospital. Uh, you know, what seems pretty much like a near-death experience. Uh, tell me something. What decisions did you make then about how you would live your life going forward based on yeah. 
being confronted I, with your mortality so early in your life? I, I, first off, I would say I couldn't imagine the future. I was so zoomed in into my trauma, into my pain. I was burned in every percent of my body and I looked like Freddy Krueger. I looked like Mr. Pita. Um, after three months in the hospital, they let me look in the mirror and I saw what I saw was, uh, was someone that would leave the hospital and would scare little kids every time he leaves the house. I was uh, more worried about the thing that I've lost and the person that I won't be uh, than being able to come zoom out and see into the future. But I did have one decision and one, and that decision was not to sit on my ass and postpone things. I remember that, you know, in the, in the week before I got blown up, I was thinking, oh, I want to record this, uh, this album. Um, but you know, I don't have much time here and I, I can't make it perfect. If I can't make it really perfect, I should rather wait until I finish the army. And I wanted to publish a book and I thought, well, it takes so much time, the editing, the thing that I'll do it when, you know, I'll do it later. Everything, you know, I, I, I used to postpone things. And laying in the hospital for a year, I read a lot of books and had a lot of conversations with people. And I realized that I'm not, once I'm back on my feet, I can't postpone things. I'm trying to live as many lives as I can uh, to compact them into one. I think I, was, I got lucky and I got a second chance of life. I don't know how many of these I have left. So I want to make the best of the, the opportunity that I got. And so I, I appreciate time in a different way. And that's the only decision that I made is, is to remember to appreciate time and to choose carefully who you're spending. So I think what strikes me about that, the question comes to mind is how do people create that sense of urgency within themselves without having to give, get blown up by a suicide bomber? Because I feel like so often people will just keep postponing, postponing, postponing. I see this over and over with people. Uh, you're like, I, I remember talking to people who's like, oh, I'm going to write a book and you'll meet them like months later. It's like, oh, I haven't started. Uh, or I'll give you the best example, the most uh, poignant one. I had two friends. One was a classmate from business school. Uh, the other was a friend of mine from high school. The classmate from business school had a really high paying job at a Fortune 500 company. He was doing really well. He wanted to start a business. He had clients lined up ready to pay him. When I met him a month later, he was like, I made a business card. My other friend, my best friend, went, he got laid off from his job six months before his wedding. He had just bought a house with his soon-to-be wife, um, and he's been a guest here on the show. A week before his wedding, he put up a video tutorial on how to use Airtable, set up a landing page. He came back, and that first week, he had five calls booked. That first month, he made $10,000. That's, I think, the most poignant example of what we're talking about here. So mm -hmm. what is it that causes people to keep delaying. And by the way, I just checked on LinkedIn, the friend who printed the business cards is still working at the same company. Hi. Oh my God. Hi. I, all right. So I always think this is something that separates entrepreneurs from, from other people. Many people, um, you know, entrepreneurs, when we have an idea, we, if we, we become, and we, and, and when we fall in loving this idea, if, if we become obsessed. We want to, we want to immediately, you know, search how if anyone has done this and how it can be done, if it's feasible. We're, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to do something. We, we, we put our heart into it very, very quickly. We don't, it doesn't, we, we don't let it go. Uh, many people, they have these limiting beliefs about themselves, right? They, they, they think I'm not good enough or I can't or this person is great. Greatness belongs to very few individuals. I'm not great. I can't ever make it. I can't be like Elon Musk, like like you know, Adam Newman, like whoever entrepreneur that you think about and you, and you think that um, you you can never be as big as them or as great as them. And so why even bother? Those limiting beliefs are actually what my, my current business is all about. I think that, you know, people that are stuck and develop these harmful thinking patterns, um, they, they convince themselves that they can't, so they don't. And so that's, that's why I think people are getting stuck and don't come out of it. Um, but I also feel like if you are stuck, if you are feeling uninspired, you're going to have a very hard time to find this inner drive to push through. And, and, um, and you can benefit from, you know, from finding this, the power to push your current limiting belief, uh, and, and to imagine a better future for yourself. 
And I think that's that's what people should do to get themselves out of this, out of this procrastination and out of the getting stuck phase of, you know, having an idea, but keep it as a conversation piece instead of actually going out and doing something. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We're talking about being stuck. Um, Britt Frank, who we had as a guest, who wrote a book about the science of stuck. And she said that whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, when you're stuck in some area of your life, there's some gain. You're benefiting in some way from being stuck. Uh, even if, if that benefit is, hey, I can just complain to somebody about this. Of course. Of course. It's, 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 but, but it's still, nevertheless, it's a narrative. Yeah. Right? Our, our, I believe that our brain is programmed with narratives. This little piece of software uh, um, of instructions that we give it. And if we convince ourselves that we can't do something, or it's going to be too difficult or too long or, you know, whatever it is that we, that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Eventually, this is a little code, a little program that we, you know, that teaches us that we can't do something. Or, you know, you can change that narrative with a better narrative um, and create a new set of instructions of what's possible to your brain, uh, which really change your entire perspective of life. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. And speaking of, of which, walk me through sort of leaving the hospital, the narrative that, you know, unfolded in your life and how it brought you to where you're at today. Uh, leaving the hospital, at the point that I was blown up, I was sure I'm going to be the next Frank Zappa. I was sure I'm going to be this incredible musician. Um, write music for everyone, forms and, and doing all that. I left the hospital. 
a girl could keep my left arm. They wanted to amputate it. It doesn't work very well today either. I have lots of bullets and shrapnel stuck in my body still. Uh, my hearing, I lost most of my hearing. Uh, and, you know, memories or souvenirs physically that, that got me to believe that I cannot do music anymore. And that's a narrative that I, that I uh, unfortunately taught myself while I was, you know, uh, hospitalized that, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And when I left, I was, I felt like I had this, um, I left the hospital with an identity crisis. I'm not a musician, then what am I? And um, I, uh, I met half a brother of my father, and uh, he was a painter. And he changed his career in, when he was 50 from working in a, in a steel plant and to, to becoming a, an incredible artist and, and painter. Uh, and I admired him for, for making such a change so late in life. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just 21. Maybe I can make a change like that. And I love painting. Um, I love watching his painting. I thought maybe I can be a painter too. Maybe painting can be a, a perler language to music that I lost. Maybe it's a different way to, to, to have some self-expression. Um, everything I do, I do whole, wholeheartedly, right? So I went and bought all the, all, all the paints, all the canvases, all the paper, all the medium that I could find in, in, in the biggest art supply shop in Tel Aviv. And, uh, I spent the first night with them. I think the first time I was painting uh, 18 hours straight. I took a bottle of wine <laughs> on my balcony and we started, uh, started looking at the canvas and I was so afraid of painting. I started by, uh, by writing my poetry on the canvas and then painting whatever, whatever it made me feel. After that night, I decided I'm going to be a painter and I, I'm, I'm a painter. That, that, that was, for me, I thought, you know, I found the language that I, that I love. And it sticks to me, and I can. And it's, it's very similar to music. It gives me the same type of uh, uh, energy that I that I was looking for. And I became a painter. And uh, um, how it how it how it, how it unfolded from there, I uh, I I, uh, I met my wife uh, through a mutual friend. She was dating a she was dating a friend of mine. Um, five days after we started dating, I proposed her to marry me. We uh, got married a month later. I convinced her that she can be a painter too, and that we can live together as, as painters. And it's going to be a fun, romantic artist life, uh, which we actually did. We had a very fun and romantic artist life for um, for um, for a decade and, and a half. And then we moved to the U.S. Uh, in 2013 uh, and to conquer the art world. Uh, but along the way, we needed the we needed the, the visa. To, to stay here and we need the sponsor. We didn't know anyone here, so we set up um, we, we, we set up uh, a, a tech company to be our sponsor. And now we're doing tech all of a sudden. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the entrepreneurship um, kind of spirit and enjoying building things and, and inspiring people with, uh, with, with my visions for the product that we're building and technology that we're developing. And um, yeah, and that, that became, for me, the thing I love doing most. Entrepreneurship and, and, and art are one of the same. I think entrepreneurs are artists, and, and I, I, yeah, that's what I love doing since. Uh, so I'm building companies since we moved here, and I'm enjoying this process very much. Okay, I got to ask you about proposing to your wife five days after you started dating. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it would be, it would be a point. There's no way I was going to let that question go. One, that goes against virtually all conventional wisdom about relationships at marriage. And the fact that you're still married is, it says something. I mean, it literally, I think that people generally would think you're out of your damn mind if you did that. Why did it work? Yeah. Um, first of all, I take risks, right? Our artists, entrepreneurs are risk takers. Um, I, I, I felt like, she is, I fell in love with her. I felt she's amazing. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying every morning today. And if tomorrow I'll wake up that I'm, and I'm not happy, you know, I'll say something. And if I'm, if I wake up unhappy too many days straight, then I have to change and, and I have to, and I have to decide that it's not for me anymore. I mean, it's okay to get a divorce. It's okay to break up. It's okay to, to change your mind about things. Nothing is forever. Right. And so. Um, I think that's how we lived. We, we were happy and we're happy and we're happy. And we're like, we keep checking in. Are we happy? And if not, 
then we want to make a change. And usually we change, we change countries, we change careers. Um, and you know what? Not only that we're together for, wow, it's 21 years now, almost 22 years. Um, we were working together this entire time, um, painting side by side, building companies together. Um, we, we spent every minute of every day since then, since that time, um, together. And I don't know how it works. I was lucky, I guess. She's my, uh, she's my, uh, my everything. I enjoy our relationship. We grow together. We change together. And, um, yeah, it, it makes us feel good. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I appreciate about your sort of view on the world and also how you think about technology is it sounds a lot like me. You see technology as a tool for making art more than a tool for, you know, like doing the things that we think that it does. And I've, I've always seen technology as sort of a way to express your creativity because I, this is something that Julian Smith said to me that has honestly been foundational to the way that I think about, you know, the projects that I'm choosing to work on, the things that I want to create. And one of the things he said to me is that every sort of new thing in technology makes something possible that wasn't possible before. And the question mm-hmm. you have to be constantly asking yourself is what does make this make possible that wasn't before? Because what you see is the intersections of all these technologies that facilitate the next one. Um, and maybe you don't think of it exactly like that, but it sounds to me like you have this very interesting way of blending the capabilities of technology with your own creativity. Talk to me about that. I think, so I think technology, you can, you can develop technology that has purpose and it has business purpose and it's still going to be created. It still can be created. I, I'm looking at the creativity in my business, um, today and before is, 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 is how you're solving problems, right? How you inspire people. And I realized when I look back and, and I think about four months ago, I had like, I had a big, again, like, like, like I have periodically identity crisis. As I was looking back and I was trying to think what was in common to everything that I did, every project that I, that I did in my life. Uh, what did I like about it? What did I like about painting, about music, about building companies, about, uh, about, you know, everything that I did, what was in common to all of that? That was, that was filling me up with energy. And I realized that the, the most creative part was to inspire people. You know, inspiring people, not just because you get, you can make the money and not just because, you know, they, they can see a career or they can see that the solution is great. Inspiring people because you had some idea that they didn't. Um, and you make them believe that they can be a part of it. And you, you, you actually make them fall in love with your concept, with your creativity and, and in a way fall in love with you. And so I, I feel like my creativity comes, um, to play here by inspiring people, whether, you know, when I'm sharing a concept for an innovative technology platform or, um, you know, or I'm, uh, or I'm creating a painting, it's, it's, it's the same, it's the same feeling for me. So and talk to me about the work that you do with this foundation, because I know that you, you know, we talked quite a bit about sort of dealing with our narratives and deprogramming. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me about, you know, how that happens and, what would be the impact if we were to do this at an early age? Because I feel like, you know, sort of emotional intelligence is pretty much left out or emotional literacy, if, if we can call it that, is virtually non-existent mm-hmm. in the way that we are educated. And I don't think that's just an American problem issue. I think that is a global, you know, like that's pretty consistent globally from everybody I've talked to when it comes to the education system. Well, first off, uh, I would say we have a lot of global problems that we need to address, right? With this foundation, um, it's an idea that I had 13 years ago. I thought, you know, I thought I'm, I was, I was progressing in my work. I was getting, uh, acquiring all kinds of achievements as an artist, as an entrepreneur. And I was never very fully happy. I always thought, Oh, I get, I get the one man show or a solo show in New York. And you want to congratulate me and congratulating me. And I feel, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm raising money for a business and I want to say, Hey, this is great. You did wonderful. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm feeling like maybe, maybe it's my character. Maybe I see glass half empty 
or maybe um, my my past is is uh, is kind of holding me back. Maybe the fact that I'm not living my authentic self, my uh, maybe the fact that I'm not living who I was meant to be, the musician that I was meant to be. Everything seems a little bit, eh, you know, so so uh, today. And I thought, what if I had this machine that I can ask it a simple question? What if I didn't die? What if I didn't serve the military at all? Uh, maybe getting exposed to this alternative outcome can relieve some of this obsession, some of this fear of missing out um, that I have towards my past. And maybe that would help me to accept it and to let it go and kind of look forward. And so I was 13 years ago, I asked a friend about it, like he was the, the smartest AI person that I knew at the time. And he told me it's impossible to build a machine that can give you a forecast of your what could have happened. And so just forget it. And I let it go, but I didn't really forget it. And uh, over the years, I keep trying to ping him and get him to come and join my, my startups. He was always busy in, uh, in, in working on big corporations and, and so on. And about four months ago, in the beginning of October, uh, I managed to, to get through to him. And I thought, you know, I want to build this machine that could inspire people, not just by accepting their past, but also to look forward and inspire them to find the best version of themselves. Uh, and I realized it's, 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 it's trauma and it's depression and it's, uh, and it's everyone that feels stuck or inspired. Um, there's this huge unprecedented global rise in unhappiness in the world. And I think it reflects this com- complex, um, complex interplay of societal, economic, in all kinds of individual factors, right? You talked about emotional intelligence, and, and that's something that was neglected. I think mental health is, is, a, is another area that's been neglect- neglected. An average, um, an average spent of a government uh, on mental health, for example, in the world today is um, between half, half percent to two percent of the overall health budget. So we're not really paying a lot of attention to it as as in society. So I um I, I set up together with Sachi, my 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 friend, to to build uh, a tech organization, a non-profit tech organization that would address this this global challenge uh, with a global solution. Um, we are we're all tech people, so we thought, how can we build a scalable way to reprogram those limiting beliefs, to reprogram those narratives, um, and tell you a different story? So what if is offering you, uh, will offer you exactly that, a place where you can ask a personal what-if question about your past or your future. It could be, what if I didn't die? Or what if I didn't get married? Or what if I uh, I had kids? Or what if I had more kids? Or it could be uh, a question about your future. What if I would uh, I change my career right now and become a chef? What if I would uh, start a podcast? What if I move to a different country? What if I uh, would marry this person or do that thing? And the answer would come in the form of a simulation of that uh, alternative outcome, that, that alternative reality. And you would see yourself um, taking control over your life and you'll have a new sense of purpose and, uh, and will, will strengthen your sense of agency so you can, so you can really be a hero in your own story. And I, we started this in, uh, yeah, late, late September, early uh, October, and we're now over 120 people, all volunteers. Building this uh, incredible narrative machine, narrative therapy machine that we hope to help people live happier and more fulfilling lives by better understanding and navigating the sporks in the worlds of life. I guess that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I feel that today, um, we need, we need to kind of, um, foster more empathy. And especially in light of what's happening in Israel and Gaza today, and in Ukraine and Russia and in Myanmar and in, in so many other places around the world, we need to help foster empathy and we need to, um, to, to, to help people with their emotional intelligence and personal growth. And personal growth doesn't have to be personal. It can be something that we can be um, mutually responsible for as, as a community. And that's what, that's what we're trying to do with this uh, with this platform. We want to help you look forward. We want to like we want to help you imagine and, and to to try and figure out what's the best you that you can be. Well, I think you know I, I understand why Michael referred you to me now. Um, he knows that I'm very much an AI enthusiast, and I actually see 
you know, a lot of potential for good here versus this sort of dystopian future view. Like there are a lot of realities to that. But talk to me from your perspective, like what are the broader implications of artificial intelligence for society at large and, you know, the individual life where, like, what are they missing and how does it have the power to, to empower them? I guess is really what I'm trying to get to. In the, in the larger sense, I would hope that AI would help people work less and, and have more free time. Um, that it will change our, um, our lives around from being operational focus to being, um, to being more, you know, doing the work that the AI can't do. We, we can imagine things in a way that the AI can't imagine. We can dream things and be creative in a way that the AI Still can't, and I don't, you know, think it will um, get to that point. So I, I think as long as people keep thinking about AI as a tool, is a, a means to an end, then that would be the right way to think about it. I think once you think about AI as um, as anything else that can replace you, or you're you're starting to worry about, you know, different, you know, having an AI girlfriend or things like that. I, I don't think we need that. I think that we can that we need more time outside machines and. The machine can help us govern the world in a way that it's fair. Then, Rick, it can help us take agency again. Yeah, so it's funny because one of the the primary arguments I've made is that thinking of AI as a tool is actually a very limited way to view it. I mean, based on the work that you're doing, I don't think you actually view it as a tool because <laughs> it, it's so a, in my mind, I see my view is that AI should be viewed as a partner, not a tool. And that if you're using it as a tool to increase productivity, you basically are the equivalent of somebody who owns a Ferrari and you drive it on surface streets in a school. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand why, because, you know, because the biggest difference is that the AI is agency can make decisions. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get that, but it still can be a tool, right? It yeah. can still be your, uh, your chief of staff. Mm-hmm. It can still be your, uh, your, uh, the, the assistant that gives you infinite memory and can, can do infinite tasks simultaneously and, and can be, uh, responsible for a lot of different issues, but it's still a machine, yeah. right? It's, you can look at it as a partner. If you'd like to give it a personality, great. Give, give it a personality. I've done that. I've actually right? programmed all my custom GPTs with personalities of, some of my favorite TV show characters. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have conversations with one of them. Oh, I'll, uh, I'll introduce you after this. I would love that. I, no, I do. You know, you're right. You know, wait, but I, if you if you can you can use it as a as a as a, as a partner. Uh, but I just view technology as a in general as a, as a tool. But it's yeah. a, but it's a very useful tool. Yes, it's a tool that has agency. Yes, it's a tool that can make independent decisions. Uh, yes, it can learn faster than you. It can execute much faster than you. Uh, but I, what, I, what I'm saying is a tool. You can use it for things that you not normally. Like yeah. for, for me in, in the Wari Foundation, you know, I, I use I look at it as a self help tool. It's something that you can do to empower yourself to be to be a better person or to be to living a better life. Yes, it has agency. It can make decisions. It can decide how to how to create this this simulation or how to give you tools to, 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 to turn your inspiration into action, which tools and how to, it can make a lot of decisions, but eventually it's a tool that we are building. Yeah. With, with our, we, we create a purpose for it. Um, and then we give it freedom in confined places. Absolutely. I don't give it freedom to do anything that it wants. My AI in the Pony Foundation cannot decide to, uh, all of a sudden to change the treatment plan. Right. Or to decide to, to venture out to different, to different things, uh, and to build its own companies or whatnot. It, it, it's, a, it's still a tool that does what, what it's designed to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the fundamental thing that people forget here is that all this is dependent on human input. And, uh, it's basically the same sort of computer science analogy of garbage in, garbage out. And, you know, uh, yeah. Because I, I built a, a custom GPT model designed to help me craft a dating profile. And, uh, you know, so like now I use the voice interaction capability of, of the ChatGPT mobile app. And mm-hmm. it's fundamentally changed the way that I interact with ChatGPT because I've had hour and a half long conversations on a nightly basis that 
delve, go into, you know, multiple directions. Like I have one that one of mine is, is basically my goal planning executive assistant. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I basically go through different scenarios and, and, you know, bounce ideas. It's become this really interesting brainstorming partner that, uh, allows me to do things. But even with the one that I built for, uh, you know, helping me build a dating profile, I remember it started asking me questions and I was like, these questions suck. I was like, why don't you ask me some real questions about my life? And in that process, I basically told it, I was like, we need to update your programming. So this interaction gives you a depth that you're not going to get from these bullshit, like, you know, job interview style questions. I think you'll be able to write a much better profile for me by doing that. And so it got to doing that. And I gave it so much information that it came back with profiles. I was like, wow, these are pretty damn good. Um, and so that opened up like a whole like other you know, thread of, of ideas and conversations. Uh, I think that in my mind, it's one of these really powerful tools for exploration that people. So I, I separated into two paradigms, what I call the better Google paradigm, in which people primarily see it as an efficiency tool and the new era of creation mm-hmm. paradigm, where people realize that this actually enhances your potential as an artist, as a creator, as an entrepreneur, should you mm-hmm. choose to use it in a way that is about far more than doing things faster. You're absolutely right. You know, and people would use this, um, you know, that's, that, I'm building an inspiration machine and it sounds like you've built your own inspiration machine yeah. as well. I built uh, a few of them. <laughs> I, 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 I want to give this inspiration machine to people for free so I can bridge this gap of people who needs, who needs to be inspired and maybe don't know how to approach it. Uh, and, and help people, you know, find a way to help themselves. Um, so I, I wish more people would know how to, how to use these tools in the right way. I think in terms of, in terms of, uh, mental health and in terms of, um, um, uh, um, meaningful emotional intelligence, um, th- this requires a, a new comprehensive, um, and, and accessible approach. Jet GPT still or GPT solutions in general today are still not accessible. Um, just, just in the way that, you know, mental health is still not accessible. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to aim to bridge those gaps and, and offering ways that, and a new way that is unique and empowering to, for people to help themselves. And, and, uh, and it's not purely machine based. There is a community of humans behind it as well because the machine would not give you motivation. The machine will give you inspiration, but it would not give you the motivation. So I think combining machines and people is what gives you inspiration and motivation to go and do something. Uh, you have, it sounds like you have a lot of uh, internal motivation, which is amazing and awesome. And, and, you know, we as entrepreneurs that have this, we sometimes we take it for granted. And just like your, one of your first questions, how do people do it? They, they don't do it because they are, they program themselves to think that they can't. Yeah. So we can change that. And those tools, the AI today can help that. Uh, it can help change your perception, it can help, help rewire, rewire your brain to help change that narrative. So you can actually, you know, be empowered to go and help yourself and, and become better. And then tools like that would be very helpful. Yeah. So I want to finish with two final questions. Uh, you had this incredibly what by any standard was a traumatic experience like almost dying and I've asked people this question in various forms why is it that somebody would have the kind of experience you had and respond the way you did and another person could have a traumatic experience with nowhere as near as much magnitude and yet have a far more disproportionate response. Disproportion. I don't know what's the proportionate response for. Well, okay. So look, I'll tell you like to make it a bit more concrete, you have a near death experience. You have this, you know, like awakening. I had a breakup that made a mess of my head and I went off the deep end. Like that response was, I mean, you know, and, and the thing is that I think part of that was my own, you know, emotional intelligence kind of needing to, to develop. But the thing is that that was nowhere as near as traumatic as what you experienced. And yet, like the way I responded, people might think that that's what happened to me. You know, it's so, it's so personal. And first I would say, 
unusual um, events or circumstances, they lead to unusual responses. And it's, it's normal. I don't think there is, you can put the word proportion into, into pain. Pain is so personal. And I, I was burned alive and the pain that I had was uh, excruciating. Um, I, you know, but other people had, you know, they delivered a baby and also had excruciating pain. We both have pain, but we looked at this pain differently because it came from different sources, right? Um, so I, I feel it's the perspective of where you're looking at your pain from. People came on our platform and asked, what if I, um, what if I gave birth to a, to, to, to a living baby? What if I met my, 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 my parents? Uh, but the other people, you know, I asked, what if I didn't die? Other people came and asked, what if I went to the wrong business? Right. Uh, the pain is still real and it's still painful. Um, and it's, 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 it's ours. It's ours to deal with. I don't think proportion has anything to do with it. It, it was, this breakup was meaningful for you and it, it cracked something in your, in your perception of life on yourself, on, on, on your future and what you were thinking about. Um, and it, it kind of changed a narrative that was in your head, which, which creates some, some, some crisis. Um, it's, it, it doesn't matter what the, the, the event is, if it's, uh, it's dying, you know, a suicide bombing, if it's giving birth, if it's having, experiencing a breakup or getting laid off, uh, things real. What, what changes things for us, what, what matters is how we deal with it, how we process it. The only thing that we can really control, we can control our trauma. The only thing that we can control is how we respond to things. Wow. Well, um, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, now I know why Michael referred you. Uh, I've enjoyed talking to you so much. But I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable? Yeah. Uh, there's Something that you see in a person, sometimes that I recognize in a person, this, this inner drive, this inner beauty that makes them unmistakable creative. It's something that, that you feel like this person, no matter what you, what you let them solve, they would know how to solve it. You put them in any room, they could, they could, you know, they can own the room. Um, I think being, and being this, being resilient and, and thinking quickly and listening to your intuition is making you is making you be that that person. Beautiful. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our, our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything else that you're up to? People can um, can find me on mywhatif.org. Um, or is Omer Golan on LinkedIn. And I welcome any questions about our platform. If people want to volunteer um, in our beautiful organizations where everyone is a, is a hero um, in helping bring mental health solutions to uh, 200 million people in the next, uh, in the next uh, two years. Um, yeah. And uh, people can hit me up uh, in any of the social media sites where they can find me. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.